mind that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? Turn in your Bibles with me to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, as we go through the testimony of John, uh, the grace of God or the gracious gift of God, which is what John or Jonathan means, uh, we're going to be beginning today uh, in John 3.16. We happen to stop there because it would be hard to just move through that verse and give it a, a once over. It's the most memorized one of the most rehearsed verses and one of the most misquoted verses uh, in the Bible. Uh, if you would like to know what the most famous verse is, the one that's the most uh, memorized and quoted and used, it's Psalms 23, because the Jewish people believe in the Old Testament also. So it's probably the most memorized. Well, we're in the middle of the witness or the interview of Nicodemus. Nicodemus means conqueror or it means um, victorious among his people. And certainly we know that all of us in our darkness, we come to Jesus. And Jesus, or excuse me, Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night and he's questioning him. And he actually says to him in, in 3.2 there that we know that you are from God. Because no one can do these signs unless God is with them. And so we, we see that, that, that there's a, quite a stir. That Nicodemus, a Pharisee, one of the rulers, a teacher, a man of prestige in the Jewish nation where people would listen to him. And he comes by night because he doesn't probably want to uh, destroy his reputation, but he wants to question Jesus. And Jesus flips the table on him, turns the table upside down, and begins to tell him that he has to be born from above to see first, and then to enter second, the kingdom of God. You must be born from above. He says born again, but it means from above. It's important that we understand what is going on here. And then he goes on to talk to him about the wind blowing and it moves things, but we don't know where it comes from. And so is the spirit of God. And then he gives him uh, the testimony of Numbers 21. And we're going to go there again today. We're going to spend a little bit more time camping out there, but not at this moment. Um, and and here's, here's, he says to him, if I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? Listen, can you believe God about science? Can you believe God about creation? Can you believe God about the things you can see, what he says about mankind? 
the, the earthly things, the things that are tangible. They don't take faith to believe God that this is true. You can look at it. He created the heavens and the earth. And yet people will say evolution exists when we know that it doesn't. And I don't want to get into an argument about adaptation or something. But when you see that all of green life takes on carbon dioxide and lets off oxygen, it's a natural filtering system of our planet, and, and you see that, that we take on oxygen and let off carbon dioxide, and you, see, you can see creationism in everything. One of my favorite is, even before I was a believer, is just that when water freezes, it floats. The molecular structure changes, and the ice comes. You ever put it in a glass of tea, and the ice floated up? See, if it would sink, it would kill all of fish life or all of life from the bottom up if it froze from the bottom up. But ice floats. These are things that prove that God created. Do, do you believe earthly things? Or do you want to believe man and what they make up to silence the voice of God? And so he's talking to Nicodemus. And we do know that his name, again, like I said, is uh, victorious among his people because he does end up coming to Jesus as near as we can tell from the testimonies. He's even there when he is buried with Joseph of Arimathea. So um, where you start and where you end should be two different places in life. And you should come and investigate the claims of Jesus the Christ. There's salvation in no other name. And that's what Nicky's really doing. He comes and investigates to find out if these things are true. And then he makes this statement in verse 9. How can these things be? And see, I think that's what John 3.16 is. John 3.16 is Jesus finally answering him. He gave him some examples. He gave him nature. He, he says to him, how can you believe earthly things? And then, they, you know, how do you not believe that? But then I believe that for God so loved the world is the answer to how these things can be. Because listen, you and I are born dead. You and I are born blind. We don't know that we're lost. The only reason that we're awakened from our sleep and Christ gives us light is because God loves us. For God so loved. So he's answering, how can these things be? When he says this verse that we memorize so often, when in fact John 3.17 is more important. So be careful what people tell you. Read the Bible. Have a love relationship with God. Allow it to sink into your soul and find out what God would say to you. Let's read our text this morning. I was only going to do two verses. I think I'll uh, probably do five. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light 
and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending your son, for him coming to earth, for this um, answer that he gives Nicodemus, the answer that he gives those who would investigate and would become victorious among their people, that it would become overwhelmingly more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Lord, help us to receive it with meekness. Let it be planted in our heart and help us to grow some 30, some 60, some 100-fold in fruit for your glory for such a time as this. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Now notice verse 16 and 17 both start out with the same phrase, for God. For God. And in the Greek, for is gar, G-A-R. And it means assigning a reason. It means, and it's used in explanation or in uh in an intensification of the answer. So it's assigning a reason. And he says, how can these things be to Jesus? And then Jesus, after speaking what he wanted to say, he answers his question and he says, for God, Garthios, and Theos is God. And that, that is supreme div- divinity. In Hebrew, in, in a Hebraism, it means exceedingly God. It's the, it's, the, it's the one true high God. For God, this word is actually used, uh, Theos, it's used all over the Bible, but it's used in Matthew one twenty three. I really liked because it says, Behold, it's quoting Isaiah, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And then the Holy Spirit gives us the translation, which is translated Theos with us, God with us. And so we know that Jesus is God in the flesh. Yes, he's the son of God, but he is the offspring of the father and he is God himself. We know that in the Trinity. And so it says for God, this is the reason Jesus came. God so, and I'm going to break this down and look at it with you. And sometimes, I mean, I've never heard anybody do it this way, but so is this. What do you mean, so? No, we want to look at the word so. Why? Because the the Greek language is so much fuller than anything you know in English. And even in this text, the word condemnation is used about four times, five verses. And there's two different words used, which means two different things. And we need to understand that in the English, we sometimes lose the translation. Can you read your English Bible and get saved and go to heaven? Yes, you can. But when you begin to dig deeper, you find out that there's much more going on behind the scenes. When you dig down for the silver and the gold and you look for the nuggets and you build a relationship with God and you say, how can these things be, Lord? Then he begins to answer you. So the word so, we go so, you know, listen, it means in this way. It's referring to what comes after. Referring to what comes after. I know that's, that's profound, isn't it? 
But you might say at your wedding day, you might say, I love you. And somebody might say, so? Talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. What do you do after you say, I will? Do you? What do you do after you say, I do? Did you? See, the most important part is not what you say. It's what you do. You can say a lot of things. You can say a prayer and say, I believe in the Lord Jesus, that God raised him from the dead, and walk away and never do anything else afterwards and think you're okay and be deceived by the devil. So the word so here is referring to what comes after. It's in this way for God, assigning a reason, the supreme divinity Loves us in this way. Loved. It's agapeo. I know we say a lot of times agape. It's agapeo is how it's pronounced. And it does mean love. It's a word that wasn't even, it didn't even exist when Jesus walked the planet. They came up with it later because they couldn't define the love that he was talking about. It's an unconditional love. It's self-sacrificing. It's giving. It means in itself a benevolence. But listen to what this is. In Hebrew, it means to breathe after. That's what this means, to breathe after. You know, in John 20, 22, it says that Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. In Genesis, God breathed upon the dirt that he took, and he made Adam, and he breathed in him, and man became a breathing being, a living being. And when we say that we know God, we begin to want to breathe after him. We want to get our oxygen and our breath from heaven, not our oxygen and our breath from down here and this, this world that's on fire, this world that's burning up, this world that's going to hell, this world that's one day going to completely be dissolved. We want to breathe from heaven. We want to breathe after God because this is the breath of life. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way the truth and the life. The way is a person. The truth is a person. The life is a person. And we want to breathe after them as if he's given us mouth-to-mouth resuscitation because we were dead and now we live if we truly believe in him. And we want to follow after him and breathe after him. That's what this agapeo means. It means In Hebrew, it means to breathe after And God so loved the world that he came down. He got up off his throne. He became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then what did he do? Then he went and preached for three and a half years, and then he was betrayed by those that he came to save. But for this purpose I came. They arrested him. They spit on him. They mocked him. They beat him. They nailed him to a tree. They lifted him up. And as he was lifted up, he took our judgment for sin. He took our judgment. But him being lifted up was just not him being. He also became sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And then they didn't really kill him. He gave up his spirit. He said, Father, receive my spirit. Well, what did he say first? He said, Tetelestai. Paid in full. It is finished. It's 
what they would stamp on an invoice when you would pay your bill in full in those days. Tetelestai. It was paid in full. And then he said, receive my spirit. And he gave up his spirit. And even the leaders marveled that he was dead so early, so quickly. Because what would they do? They would come so that he could not push up and breathe. See, because it's about the breath of life. He couldn't push up off his little post and breathe because his diaphragm was hanging down. They would come and break their legs. Well, see, he was already giving up his spirit, so they didn't break a bone and fulfill in Scripture. Psalm says not a bone was broken. And they were amazed. And so they took him down, and then we know that Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea buried him in a brand-new tomb. God so loved the world. The world is cosmos. Cosmos. K-O-S-M-O-S. It means the orderly arrangement. Now listen, when God created the heavens and the earth, when God created the cosmos, it was an orderly arrangement. Because it's order in his court, and there is always order. God's not out of order. It's the devil that introduces chaos. It's the devil that is the author of confusion. But God's a God of order, and everything was created in order, and he sat down and rested and said, it is good. So there's an orderly arrangement. He so loved his orderly arrangement. He so loved his creation. It means the decoration or the adorning world, and it includes the inhabitants. In Greek writing, it meant an apt, harmonious arrangement or constitution. That's what cosmos meant. Well, God so loved it, his world, what did he do, Greg? Did he do something afterwards? He gave. He gave. He gave what? The greatest gift ever given. And never was it rejected by so many. And we're going to see in the text, it's not rejected because they don't understand. It's not rejected because they have other things to do. The text actually says they hate God. The text actually says down here in 20 that they hate God. And we know in the New Testament, in the spiritual life, if you hate somebody, it's, it's the same as thou shalt not murder. Because you hate them in your heart, so you've already murdered them. The only problem is you don't want to go to prison. And who was the murderer? Satan was a murderer from the beginning. He was a murderer from the beginning. And Jesus says, you're of your father, the devil. So when you hear somebody say, now listen to me, I want you to say, when you hear somebody say that we're all God's children, that's a lie from the pit of hell. When you say he's our, all, uh, everybody's father, that's a lie from the pit of hell. It's not even true that we are created in his image. Original creation in its harmonious content and in the orderly decoration was created in his image. But when sin entered into the garden, it got flipped upside downward. And now it's in the image of the devil. We're born dead, we're going to see in a minute. That's why verse 17 is more important than verse 16. Although, you have to understand 16 in order to believe in him and come out of 17 alive and go into heaven. God so loved the world that he gave. Uh, it means to furnish it means to deliver up or to offer. You must receive it. 
He died for all the sins of the world, but he will never force himself upon you. It has to be an act of your free will to receive it, to die to self, and to begin to walk in the newness of life and ask the Holy Spirit to lead you, and then to remain in his hands to be washed and cleansed. This is salvation. It, 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 it's, a, it's a process that we're going through that once you believe, it's sealed. But if you believe, there's going to be evidence afterwards. That's verse 21. There's evidence afterwards. You begin to see the light. You begin to see the difference. You begin to see the washing and cleansing of a, of a vessel when it's being washed and cleansed. You don't put a cup in a sink and start washing it and it's got dirt all over it. And then you put it back in the strainer and go, I'm finished. And it's still got the same dirt all over it. Once it goes into the washing and cleansing, there's going to be some change in it before you set it over where its final resting place is. We have to wake up just to regular, simple, earthly things to understand spiritual things that God wants to speak to us about. We can't just listen to a bunch of people teach something and say, that's it, I like that, that fits my flesh, I'm going to go do that, and then I'll be okay. And then we die and go straight to hell. Deceived by the liar, deceived by the one who hates God, deceived by the one that we allow to take over the church and to lead our lives in this world because we hate God. Listen, that's the way all of us are born. Haters of God. I, I'm just telling you what the nature is, the sin nature. There's no sin in God. God so loved his orderly creation that he gave his only begotten son, one of a kind. He gave this great gift. Wait a minute, you know, let's look at Isaiah. Let's look at this great gift, Isaiah 9. See, typically we'll look at this at, at uh, uh, um, Christmas time about what Christmas is really about. Isaiah 9, 6, you can hold your finger there because we're going to come back, I think, to 9, 1 and 2. But 9, 6 says this, For unto us a child is born, virgin birth. Unto us a son is given. See, he was born God's son, but then he had to be given, given on the cross, and the government, his dominion and rule, his power, will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We see the Trinity there. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom... To order it and establish it with judgment and justice from this time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Zeal for my father's house has eaten me up. So I'm turning over tables. That's what we started with earlier in John. Listen, his government is available right now. It's the only government that matters. It's the only one that will last forever. It's the fifth government of Daniel 7. I think it's in Daniel 7. It'll last forever. The government of God. It's the only government that matters. 
We are to obey the laws of the land, but the only government that we're following and breathing after is God's government, His Messiah, His provision for the sin nature, His provision for new life that God so loved and He gave. God so loved the world that He gave His one-of-a-kind, unique Son, Why would he do that? You only had one. Why would you give it away to somebody else? Think about that long and hard. One unique virgin birth. Overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. So the first Adam is not his father. Listen to me. Because the first Adam is our father. The second Adam is Jesus. The first Adam did not rule his house well. Think about it long and hard. He didn't rule his house well. I know there's this death culture going on. It's in the text. It's what's going on right now is death, death culture that wants to kill a patriarchal system which God has instituted with man as the head, because he protects the bride. He's supposed to, 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 to be loving and, and nourishing his wife, washing and cleansing his bride, as Christ did for the church. Why? That he can present her to himself, a spotless and clean church without wrinkle or any such thing. Adam did not do that in the garden. He did not protect Eve. In fact, we just are we did we just read that in Romans six? No, it was Romans five. Listen to this, Romans five. Not going to expound that. I just want to read it to you, Romans five twelve. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, that's the world that God loves. And death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned, according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is the type of him who was to come. Listen, but the free gift is not like the offense. He's unique. He's one of a kind. He's the son of God. For if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift of the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. Now notice, the reason I took you here really was to show you that the blame is not put upon Eve. I know a lot of people say, well, Eve bit the apple. Eve, and it's not even, we don't even know that it's an apple, but it's just, it's just part of what we say. But notice that the Bible puts everything up on Adam. 
And so we need to be biblical in our thinking of how we're living. And if God puts the responsibility on Adam for not protecting his bride, then the responsibility is also on us as men to protect our brides, to take care of our brides, to to lead our brides, to make sure they understand the word of God, to teach them. You know, when it says in the Bible that I do not permit women to speak in church, That was the thing in Corinth church where the women sat on one side of the room, the men sat on the other side of the room, and the women, not understanding what was being said, would get up and run across the room and make all kinds of noise and distract everybody. And that's all he was saying. Don't do that in church. They had a culture where that's the way they sat. And he said, you you men need to teach your wives at home. You need to be making sure that they're protected and that the devil is not taking care of them. And see, this flies right in the face of life today because we've had ERA for a bunch of years for the life of almost everybody in this room, except for a couple ladies who all remain nameless. And so it's really difficult when your entire sin nature has been led to believe that you're the boss. Listen, you're, 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 you're not less than, a woman is not less than a man, but she's made to be protected. That's what I tell my little seven-year-old grandson. I said, we're not mean to girls. We don't hit girls. We don't pick on girls. We protect women. And he needs to be trained in that. If he doesn't learn anything else, he needs to be biblical in how he treats women. Because it reminds you of who you are in Christ. Notice that the man is the one that it's laid squarely upon. And it's the man, Christ Jesus, who came and lived perfectly, full of the Holy Spirit, and walked this out for us, that we could have the grace of God and the choice, free will choice, to choose salvation and receive this gift. Verse 16 of of, uh, Romans 5 And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, for the judgment which came from the one offense resulted in condemnation, damnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. That's a word that means just as if you never sinned. That's what Christ gives us, just as if you never sinned. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. You know, again, like I just told you, all that the world is doing right now, all that the devil is doing, who is a murderer from the beginning, he's trying to bring death culture back where he wants you to let death reign in your life instead of the word of God, instead of the way of God, instead of the truth of God. He wants you to stay living and following in fear death culture, which kills God and says no to God. And I mean, actually, if you read on in six, my goodness, Romans is such an amazing book. It's God who, it's God who actually... It's actually an eight. I'm sorry. It's God who actually subjected 819 for the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to vanity, to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. See, God's hope was that all would come to the saving knowledge of his son, Jesus 
because their creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious freedom of the children of God. And then he talks about the whole creation groaning. Listen, listen to me. We need to understand that it's the Word of God that we need to have a relationship with through the Holy Spirit. I quoted it early, uh, earlier when the man of God looks into the Word of God and he sees the Son of God, which is on every page, He's transformed by the Spirit of God into the image of God for the glory of God. So you get flipped back upside downward. We're born a trichotomy. Man in the garden was created in the image of God, which is a trichotomy, trinity. There was spirit, soul, and body, right? Their spirit was first. They're walking with God. And then their mind, will, and emotions, they're obeying God. They're, they're, they're naming the animals. They're, they're having this happy marriage. They're naked and they don't even know it. They're flesh. They don't even realize it. And then God allows them to be tempted because, listen, their heart was already temptable. Do you understand this? Because everybody, like, I remember Flip Wilson, some of you guys do. The devil made me do it. Well, see, that's not true. It's your nature of how you are that you will choose to be against God. How do I know that? Because it says it in James. James says in 1 James chapter 1, listen to this. You can read it. You can turn with me. One twelve. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who breathe after him, love him. Those who breathe after him, love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires. Listen to me, his own lust, his own covetousness. This is what is washing and cleansing. This is what God wants to change as we breathe after him. He changes our desires. He makes his desires our desires. That's why we pray so that he will change our desires to be like his. When he's led away by his own desires and enticed. Eve was led away by her own desires when she was enticed by the devil. Then when the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. That's when he says, do not be deceived, my dear brethren. Every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights, when there is no shadow or shifting or turning. I know I'm moving to a lot of places with you, and, and I want you to understand that God came down for God so loved, this is the reason, his creation, that he wanted to redeem us back from death. Not to allow us to keep living in death culture, which is what the church is doing. We say a prayer, we're okay, now we get to keep doing everything we've been doing. That's not Christianity. That's not salvation. That's not deliverance back to safety. That's not deliverance back to the government of God. Where we obey God in his house. So we created in that trichotomy, remember, body or spirit, soul, and body. Sin flips you upside down to body, soul, then spirit. 
When Jesus breathes on you again and you come to salvation, it flips you right side back up to where your spirit comes first. And then you say no to your mind, will, and emotions, and you put your flesh in the grave with Jesus. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but the life that I now live I li- in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. We are crucified with Christ. We die with Christ. And then we get back in order and do what Christ has called us to do. And we begin to learn truth. It's a person. We begin to walk in the way. It's a person. We begin to breathe after the life. It's a person. And we have this love relationship that's real and intimate and personal with the God who so loved and came to redeem us. And then it's by choice. See, he could have just said, bam, and you were there. But that was the angels, and they still rebelled. There's no free choice in that. Now you're just there doing it. But he wants to give you a choice. He wants to give you a free will. He wants you to choose to receive his love. He wants you to make that decision. You have no power in you. You're without strength. We just could have read that in in Romans 5, 6. While we were still without strength, Christ died for us. God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. We didn't even know we were sinners. We didn't know we were without strength. We thought we were okay in the midst of our lives. And Christ came and died. Because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now, if you think about it, what happens? Why, why did he give? Why was it his unique son? Why, he, he didn't have Adam's sin nature. He was the second Adam. He became the son so he could become kin to us. Why, Greg? That, I know I'm breaking it down, that is a word that means in order. It's denoting the purpose of the gift. That whosoever, is that what it is in this one? Whoever, it's just whoever. Hang on to that. We're going to have that again in a different word. Whoever, that means all, any, every, everyone. It's all exclusive. Why? Because he's loving the world, the cosmos, his entire orderly arrangement, including the individuals. See, the earth is groaning for redemption. Waiting to see who the sons of God are because they don't know. That everyone, anyone, whomsoever comes. You know, it's really strange because there's people that teach that there's only certain people that can come. Which is demonic. I'm not going to talk about it very long. But if you, I mean, Jesus already said that you must be born of flesh and then born of spirit. He didn't leave anybody out there. Here he doesn't leave anybody out when he's answering Nicodemus's question. He says, whoever, that's everybody. He says in Matthew 11, come to me, all you who, what, what's all? Somebody got a calculator? Come to me, all you. Why would Jesus say, come to me, all of you, if everybody wasn't able? 
Why would God say that it's his will that all men would come to the saving knowledge or to repentance of Jesus? Come to me, all you who, are, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Notice where it's at, heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's a light bearer. He's carrying light. It's light. It's easy to do with his power and his strength, but it's also a witness to light because men love darkness, we will see. So what do you have to do? That whosoever or whoever believes. There's that word. There's that word believes, 4,100 in the Strong's. It's the Greek word pistio. It means to have faith in or upon or with respect to a person or thing. In this case, it is to entrust one's spiritual well-being into Christ. It means to believe or commit to trust Him. And, and the next word in the Strong's is again, pistio. It, it's, it's a related word. It means to have a constancy in it. So it's a life of faith. You keep walking by faith, following the author and the finisher of your faith. It's not a one-time thing because we're being led out of a burning uh, building. We're being led out of a world that's on fire, and we want to breathe after Jesus. And he is the word of God, and the word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And it leads me in the right way. It makes my way straight. You can't just do it once and then go, I got the rest of it, Jesus. This, this is, this, he's not bailing us out of jail and you get bailed out and you get to go do what you want. Although verse 17 has the connotation of somebody already on death row getting ready to go to the gallow. And the question is, will he receive the pardon from the governor? And that's the way you and I are all born into this world, dead. And the question is, is will you receive the pardon? And it's your choice. So that whoever believes in him, in Jesus, salvation in no other name, should not perish. Now listen, it's really funny because when you look at this in the Greek, should and perish are the exact same words. Apollomia. Apollomia. They both mean the same thing. But it's qualified with the not. The word not means uh, negation or absolute denial. See, if you believe in Jesus, there's an absolute truth that you will not die. You will not perish. Absolute. If you trust Jesus and trust your life to Jesus, you will not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. Now, it's interesting because everlasting means perpetual. It means with no beginning and no end. Life is the word zoe. But really, what is it talking about? Because as we sit here and as people might listen and as everybody is born, everybody's eternal. Everybody's everlasting. And we've talked about this before. It's really speaking of life and not death. See, other people are everlasting death. They have everlasting death because they're going to remain separated from God, who is life. But when you believe in Jesus, God's provision for your death state, your sin nature, you receive everlasting life. It's the quality of life. You become like Nicodemus. 
You become victorious among your people. You become overwhelmingly more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. And you what overcome what? The same thing Jesus did. He came and overcome death. He defeated death for us. And that's what you get freely justified and given to you in the gift is now you never have to die again. Oh, you go to sleep and you wake in the arms of Jesus. But we have to understand that we were born dead. Huh? Born spiritually dead under Adam. Didn't even know it. Romans 5, 8 again. God demonstrated his love, his breathing after us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The question is, is do you believe? I believe verse 21 tells what happens if you believe. If you trust, I believe there is movement. Actually, you know what? Read Romans. Go to Romans 2 with me. See, we just read through this. I'm sorry. When I'm reading through it and I'm going, oh, my goodness, that's in Romans 2, isn't it? Romans 2, look at this. And then we're going to head off to Numbers again, and we're going to spend about three hours there. Sorry. Romans 2, let's just start in 5. I don't want to talk about the rest. It opens up a can of worms that we have to really deal with. But in accordance, according to your hardness and your impotent heart. You can't control your heart. That's how we're born. Can't control it. But what's the Spirit do? Is it, what's the fruit of the Spirit? Galatians 5, 22, 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, and it looks like joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and what? Self-control. There's self-control now of the heart in salvation. Now you can begin to trust in God's power. But before, impotent means you have no control of your heart. You are treasuring up. This is what we've been putting up and, and we're saving. We go after all the stuff that creates death. Treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each one according to his deed, his ergon, what you're occupied with, eternal life to those who by patient continuance. Listen. Patient continuance, hoopamone, it's abiding under the things of life, abiding under and in death culture, but not part of it. Patient continuance, you continue in the faith, in doing good, and you're seeking for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those, verse 8, but to those, verse 8, who are self-seeking, and do not obey the voice of God. Oh, no, it says the truth. Same thing. Truth is a person. He's speaking right now. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, death culture, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil. That's what you're practicing. That's what we're going to talk about in verse 20 of uh, John 3 of the Jews first and also to the Greek, but glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works, occupied with, that's ergon, what is good to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. Listen, this is important stuff that we understand because it's all in the Bible. 
And if you're just listening to somebody's number one bestseller and reading their book and going, I'm following this pastor, I'm following that church, I'm following that denomination, I'm going to do this the way my grandma said to do it. Listen, you have to have a relationship with the living God. He has spoken already. He's not saying anything new. And you can get in here and dig through this and read this and understand it because the Holy Spirit is the only one you need to teach you. So, God so loved the world for God. That's the reason, that's the explanation that the supreme divinity so loved the world. Referring to what comes after, he breathes after us. If you went to, if you was to go to Proverbs 8, you'd see that his delight was always with the sons of men. Always. He created us with a delight. He's not, he's not wanting anybody to perish. He's trying to save us. But we're already confined to death when we're born. Drives me crazy when, when babies are born and everybody was talking about how good they are. They're born with a little sin nature. You don't have to teach them to say no. You need to teach them to share and to do good. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. That's why we're commanded to train them in the way they're supposed to go. Because their little sin nature, the nature they already have, is under death culture. And if you allow it to stay there, they're going to end up in prison. And I can attest to that. I guarantee you. As I grew up and was not trained in righteousness, I broke everything that I didn't take. I'm not proud of that. I'm just telling you that. And it ended bad until I came to know Jesus. So 317, do you believe? Are you trusting? Then you have everlasting life. And again, the word for God, it's again, Gartheos. It's assigning the reason that the supreme divinity or exceeding God so loved the world. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, Crino. He didn't send his son into the world to condemn it. It means to decide mentally or judicially to try to damn it or condemn it, to judge it, to call it into question. He didn't send him for that. It was already judged. He sent him into the world uh, that they might be saved. You see that? But that the world, the cosmos, his orderly arrangement through, that's the through is the denoting the channel of the act. You know what acts is so important about? It's how you live. So you can say, I love you. But what are your actions, your acts? I always tell you this because it's important to understand that when you look at the book of Acts and you start reading the book of Acts, that the original title of the book of Acts was the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. Because it was so important that they understood that it was not them. That it was the Holy Spirit leading the life. And now we've taken the Spirit out and we have a form of godliness which denies the power thereof. And we just call it the axe. Whatever you do, that's the axe because you said a prayer. Now you're saved. But the truth is, is if you're not led by the Spirit of God, you're not a child of God. 
Romans 8, 14, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. We need to get biblical in the church today and stop living in death culture and breathing after the world, breathing after the flesh, breathing after what we feel is good and begin to be stepped on in our hearts. Somebody said, you stepped on my toes today, Pastor. I said, well, I was aiming at your heart. I wasn't aiming at your toes. I was trying to get your heart to turn to God and get in his word. Because I am a cheerleader, and I'm a talent scout. I knew that would get you laughing back there. Because that's the only thing we can do is be a witness and try to encourage people. What does a witness do? It cheerleads about what has already happened. It tells people the good news that you can be saved. You don't have to stay in your condition. But if you are saved, your condition is going to change dramatically. It doesn't stay the same. And you don't keep chasing the same desires for the rest of your life. You might struggle learning your identity and walking away and being free. But you have to know what Romans 8 says. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. What's the next line? If you walk according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. If your Bible doesn't say it, look at verse 3. It says it there. But there's a big qualifier there. There's no judgment eternally if you're led by the Spirit and not by the flesh. The flesh is dead. It's in the grave. It will lead you to right back to death if you let it lead your life instead of the spirit of god following the truth of god for the glory of god so 17 he didn't send his son the 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 provision for the sin nature into this orderly arrangement that's under sin and condemned to futility uh, uh, so that the world would be condemned but he sent him into the world that the world might uh uh-oh you have the ability might and saved are all the word it means to deliver or protect it means to preserve it means to save or to be made whole to rescue from destruction the perishing that we were already confined under now i want you to see this again let's go back to numbers 21 Let's do it. Numbers 21. I'm sorry. When you get to Numbers 21, and we read it last week, we read it Friday night. It's so important that we understand it. Why? Because Jesus himself a lot of times says it is written. A lot of times he points to Scripture, and everything that he does, he points to Scripture. But in this one, he gives you an entire testimony that if he is lifted up, The same way Moses lifted up the serpent. This is a huge deal about salvation. This is a huge deal. And as the serpent was lifted up, it was not just a picture of Jesus being lifted up, but it was a picture of judgment of sin. That serpent represents sin because Jesus became our sin. He took our sin on the cross. So it represents everything about that, that he judged sin. But notice it says in verse 4, 21-4, and we're talking about the children of Israel. Let me tell you something really simple. 
for those who think that you shouldn't be sanctified, that you're not supposed to be washed and cleansed, that you can just go straight to heaven for saying a prayer. When God delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt, which to you and me is the world, away from Pharaoh, which to you and me is the devil, and he took them out, and he took them by way of the Red Sea, and they were baptized into Moses at the Red Sea, and then they went into the wilderness for 40 years, which is the number of judgment, because they would not obey God. Listen, he could have took a right turn and in three days had them into the promised land. Three days he could have had them into the promised land if he went this way instead of through the Red Sea. He purposely took them the way that they were going so that they would know their heart, so that they would learn, so that they would understand that they have a hard and impotent heart that needs to be humbled and turned over and receive with meekness the implanted word. He did it on purpose to build a relationship, and they got to the promised land, Kadesh Barnea, place of judgment, and they all died in the wilderness, everybody 20 years and older, except for Caleb and Joshua, which is insane because Joshua means the Lord is salvation. It's Hebrew for Jesus, and Caleb means dog. Huh? Well, dog is what worship means, proskuneo. It means as like a dog licking the hand of his master. Only the person who humbles himself is going into the promised land. It's that simple. If you humble yourself into this, in the sight of the Lord, he will lift you up. Now, let's go humility. Moses was the humblest man in the Bible. What did it mean, Greg? Because he was an angry dude. He didn't get to go into the promised land because being angry. Humility is, is when you meet God's will, the truth, you bow down. It's not, oh, me, I'm just a humble me, I'm just a humble me. No, no, no. When you hear God's word, you hear his voice, you hear his truth, you say no to self. I'm crucified in the grave. I'm going to obey you, God. That's humility. That's what the true meaning of humility is because Moses would follow God. He was just angry with the people who wouldn't follow what he was telling them about God. He was drawn out. He was given a witness to them. He was saying, no, God told us to go here, worship on this mountain. And they go... We want the garlics and the leeks and the onions that are back in the world, back in Egypt. And he's like, what are you people doing? And then he struck the rock twice. He was mad at them. He was mad at the people. He wasn't mad at God. He was humble before God. He met with God every day. Oh, it's amazing when you start reading the Bible and you really see what's going on. The hard part is following it. That's why you need the Spirit of God. So, 21.4, Numbers, they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea. They could have done it in three days to go around the land of Edom. And the soul, mind, will, and emotion of the people became very discouraged on the way. Listen to me. You and I have been brought out of the world by believing in Christ, and you can get discouraged on the way. You can go, man, Lord, I thought this was going to be easier. Man, I didn't think I was going to have to work this hard. Man, discouraged. Now, listen to me because this is a really amazing word in the Hebrew. Discouraged means to be troubled or vexed. It actually is quoted much discouraged. It means to be grieved. But I want you to know that 45 times out of 56 times it's used in the Hebrew, It means to dock off. Huh? Dock off, especially to harvest grass or grain. It means to cut down and to reap. 
This is talking about the harvest. This is talking about judgment at the harvest time. This is what this is talking about. This is why Jesus is pointing it out. It's really talking about sowing and reaping. What you sow, you will reap. And if you sow to the wind, you will reap the whirlwind. God's not mocked. This is, it's not just that they were discouraged. Their hearts were already bad. So then what did God do? See, the condition of Eve's heart was already set that she could choose something else. And then the serpent showed up and tempted her. God didn't tempt her. The devil did. And she followed the devil because her husband wasn't protecting her, the first Adam. The second Adam is protecting us. The second Adam has already completed it. The second Adam has already said it's finished. All you have to do is obey and listen. And be- Oh, you don't have to do that? No, that's works, isn't it? All you have to do is believe. Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead and you shall be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. That's a marriage ceremony, Romans 10, 9, and 10. It's a marriage ceremony where two people at the same time say the same thing about the same event. They both say, I do, I will. One does. So God so loved the world, afterwards he did his part. The other one usually don't. They usually don't keep their vow. That's why we take communion, to remind ourselves of our vow with God. We were married to God. We should not be discouraged. God's on the throne. He's going to get us to the other side. He's going to complete the work he started in us until the day of Christ Jesus. If he started it, he always finishes it. Problem is, there's so many false conversions in the church today. People get discouraged because they're not really following God. They're following men. They're following death culture. They're breathing after this life, and they're lusting for the things of this life, and they're not looking unto the lifted up Jesus. They're not looking up to God's provision who is seated in heavenly places. So they became discouraged on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. That's what happens when you're grumbling and complaining. Why have you brought us out of the world, out of Egypt, to die? No, you were dead then. You were dead already. In the wilderness, for there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. What did God do when they grumbled and complained? So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people and many of the people of God, many of the people of Israel died. And see, when we see people dying, that's why at funerals I always talk about this is not about the person in the casket. This is about you. When you see death, it's about you that you are one day going to die. This is about God having an audience with you and your family and every person's in this room is what I tell everybody at a funeral every single time because he uses death to bring life. That's what he did with his son. We were already dead and he brung us life when his son died for us and took our place. So God wants to have an audience with them. And what happened in verse 7? Therefore, Because of what happened there, because of their grumbling, because of the serpents, because of people dying, the people came to Moses, the one drawn out, and said, we have sinned. They came and repented. They came and they understood that death, that they they were in trouble and they were going to die. Listen, you and I are going to die. It's appointed for men to die once and then comes the judgment. 
Are you breathing after God and believing in him? Or are you breathing after death culture and still following this world? They said we have sin. They repented. They changed their mind. We've spoken. They confessed it right out. It wasn't just a, oh, I did this. I think I've fallen short. If I've ever hurt you, uh, I'm sorry. No, they actually said exactly what their sin was. We have spoken against the Lord and against you. Notice the Lord comes first. And then what did they say to do, Greg? Oh, pray for pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us, our, our certain death. We're going to die just like those other people did. So Moses prayed for the people. He's the interceder. He's the type of Christ. Then the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And it shall be that everyone who is bitten when he looks at it shall live. Listen, every one of us are confined under death. Every one of us are born dead. Every one of us has been bitten because of the first Adam who did not obey God. And he allowed his wife to ignore the voice of God. So we're all confined there. We've all been bitten by the serpent. But if you look at God's provision, you shall live. God's provision, God's anointed is his only begotten son, Jesus the Christ, who is being lifted up. That's what he told Nicodemus the one who is victorious, the one who came to him, the one who is in, in investigating what's going on. How can these things be? Only because of God, for God, for God. Those are some big words in the Bible, for God. Well, whatever's going on in your life, put God involved in it and you'll be better. So Moses made a bronze, which is always judgment, serpent, and put it on a pole. And so it was, if the serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. You know, I remember when I was first saved, and I tell this to people. You can see that in them words right there. I see it again. The word live, if you just live your life, it's evil backward. But if you look to Jesus, everyone who looked to Jesus lived Live backward as devil. If you do it backward, and that's what the devil wants you to do, be upside down in what you're doing. You need to understand you were already dead. Most people go, I don't need any life. I don't need to know Jesus. I'm already doing good. No, you were born dead. You've already been bitten. You have a sin nature that hates God. And, and, and you hate God because you like to do evil. And, and, and if you come to the light, it will expose you. It will rebuke you. It will tell you. So people that are not in the word of God, people that are not trying to be in fellowship and do the work of God and the will of God for the glory of God, they are practicing some kind of sin. And they're afraid to come to the light. That's what he says in the next verses. Oh, they'll go to church service, they'll sit around, but then all week long they don't do anything. They'll listen to a man. Remember what the children of Israel said in the wilderness? Moses, Moses, you speak to us, but we don't want to come before the quaking mountain, the, 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 the fire and lightning. It's in Hebrews chapter 12, I think, at the end. We don't want to come there before God because he's, he's, he's scary. Listen, you need to come to God. If you are not born from above, you are not going to see or enter the kingdom of God. And Jesus is the new and living way. He's the latter. He's the one that's made a way so you can come in boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. If you do not come to God, you can't be saved. The law doesn't save. 
Your flesh doesn't save. There's no other name in heaven and earth by which men can be saved. Jesus points to this purposely. And he takes us through the wilderness purposefully. And what we're going through, we're already saved positionally, but practically what we, how we deal with those things, grumbling and complaining and throwing fits and blaming everybody else and becoming a victim, that's death culture. And we need to say no, no, no to those things and yes to God's word and yes to who we are and yes and amen to what God is doing as he washes and cleanses us and let him change our desires so that we would desire to do his will and not be tempted. Anybody drive by the bank this morning? I think there's one, maybe two on the way here, three on the way here. I was not tempted to go kick their door down and rob that bank. Did not tempt me in the least. Tempt any of you guys? You guys bring your guns? Anybody tempted to do that? No, but you're led away by your desires. But you did not desire to go to prison. So you're not led away by that one. Man, I'd like to have all that money in there. Remember they asked the Al Capone, why you rob banks? He said, it's where the money's at. Come on, what kind of stupid question's that? I'm not going to rob a lemonade stand. I got pennies. I'm robbing the bank. That's where the money's at. He was a bank robber. That's what he did. See, we're sinners. That's what we do. If we don't surrender and put the flesh in the grave and begin to be led by the Spirit of God, it's what we'll do. We might not rob banks, but there's other things that we're doing because we desire to do it as opposed to come to the light. But the more you come to the light, the more it exposes, and then it shows the power to redeem you and the power to change you and the power to turn out that darkness and let you walk in the newness of life and proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's what we're called to do. But the more you're silent, the more you stay away from the word, the more you stay away from the light, the more you're going to practice your darkness. If you don't confess that he's true and what he said is true and begin to practice it, you'll keep practicing darkness. It's just what the Bible says. But this is what was going on in the garden when the serpent came. All he did was tempted Eve. Did you see him get a hold of Eve's arm and drag her down the road and make her do that? He just tempted her. Well, how was he able to tempt her? Because Adam wasn't protecting her. Adam wasn't keeping her in the word, prayer, and fellowship. Adam wasn't making sure she knew the truth. Adam allowed her to get in a conversation with, the, with a serpent. And then he didn't want to lose her, so you know what he did? He wasn't deceived. Go read the Bible. He followed her because he wanted to keep her. That's what's going on in the world today. We just follow death culture because we want to hang on to what feels good and comfortable instead of humbling ourselves in the sight of God and letting Him lift us up. Look at Deuteronomy 8, 2. If you're in Numbers, you just want to turn two or three pages over. It's in chapter 8, verse 2. If you're talking about spiritual war, this is the verse that Jesus used, Matthew 4, when the devil tempted him the same way he tempted Eve. Deuteronomy 8, 2, Exodus uh, 8, 1. I love this chapter here. It's a great chapter. Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe, careful to obey, that you may live. Don't we want life? 
It's easy to walk in death culture. It's easy to be in the flesh and multiply, train your children, and go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. Listen, we have an inheritance, and Christ give it to us. And if you want to possess it and walk in it and live powerfully with an identity of an, a conqueror, one who's victorious among your people, it's not saved by obeying but if you are saved, there'll be evidence because you'll desire to obey. And the Holy Spirit gives you power to obey God. And you might have to confess it a thousand times a day, but you should be moving your heart in that direction, knowing that practicing death culture will kill you. And you shall remember. This is a memorial. That's what remember means. It means do a memorial. That's what communion is. We're remembering his death until he comes. It's a memorial. That the Lord your God led, not drove, he led those who listen. You all the way these 40 years in the wilderness. Why? To humble you. To test you. You remember you go to class and all week long they teach you. And at the end of the class, at the end of the week, they give you a test. What would you learn? what comes out of your heart it's what you practice at the end of the week that's what you learned and if you didn't learn what the test was on sunday morning or through the week as you're reading the bible then you need to confess it and go back and say lord i missed that i didn't have faith to hear it because he's testing you why to know what was in your heart see the heart's where we go astray at the middle of us is what god wants It was already there to desire. That's how the Lord, or that's how the devil was able to tempt us. The Lord didn't tempt us. Forty years to humble you, to test you, that you would know what was in your heart, so you can go, man, Lord, that's in my heart. Can you dig that out? Whether you would keep His commandments or not, His authoritative prescription. So he humbled you. He allowed you to hunger. He allowed you to go through those stains and say, worthless bread. He allowed you and fed you with manna, what is it, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread, physical bread alone, the things of this life alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Here's the testimony. Your garments did not wear out on you. Listen, these are people that died in the wilderness. Their garments did not wear out on you, nor did your feet swell these 40 years, hot desert, walking around. You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. See, when things are going on, don't be mad at God. Understand that it is discipline to save you, not to hurt you. It's the same thing we're looking at in John 3, 16 and 17. God's not coming to condemn us. He's coming to save us. We were condemned already. We, we were already on our way to hell. And he come and knocked. His spirit comes. And he comes alongside John 14. We're going to see it. We're going to see it in, in, in 17 to convict us of, or 16, convict us of sin and righteousness and judgment that we're sinners, that we can be righteous in Christ, and there's going to be a judgment one day. There's going to be a harvest. Are you discouraged? Are you walking around with joy? Are you living for God? Or are you still chasing everything? Are you chasing that relationship? Are you chasing that job? Are you chasing that money? Do you think things are going to be fine when you get to your next vacation? Listen, this is life. No matter where you're at, the next thing down here is not going to make you better. It's looking up there. 
It's lifting him up in your, in your praise. It's lifting him up in your conversation. It's understanding that it's all about him. It's his testimony. You're just a witness that he came. God loved the world and gave us this most prized possession so that we'd understand that man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. When we get to John 10, we'll see in 27, he says, My sheep, which is a word that means forward-moving animals, so we're supposed to always be growing on the grow. They hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. Now, quickly, I'll be talking like this really fast so we can finish up the rest of this in 18 and through 21. Uh, 318. Again, he's going to repeat. He who believes, he who pistio, he who entrusts his spiritual well-being and has faith in the, the, the Christ in him is not condemned. This is the word chrysis. It's not crino like we've seen before. It's a, it, it doesn't even have the accusation or the judgment or the opinion against him. If you believe in him, there's nothing against you. If God is for you, no one can be against you. There's no accusation. There's no damnation. It's Roman, or excuse, yeah, Romans 8, 1. But he who does not believe, if you don't entrust, is condemned already. You're condemned already already dead you're in death culture you like it you're pursuing it because he has not entrusted his spiritual well-being into what the name the name onema remember this i tell you this it's his character it's his nature it's his will it's his authority it's his government we've just seen in isaiah his authority who's of the only begotten one of a kind son of god Salvation in no other name. You have to believe in his name, his character, his nature, his will, his ability to defeat death, that he came to destroy the works of the devil. 19, and this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light. That's our nature. We love darkness. And now, of course, light is good and, and dark is evil. And this is what we're talking about. Because their deeds, their ergon, their works, their, what they're occupied with, where is that at in my notes? Their ergon, their deeds, ergon, to work, toil as an effort or occupation. It's an act. Their acts, their labor, what they're doing are evil. Now listen to me, because it's very important that you understand that this can be reversed. Evil means hurtful. Uh, it means in a effect or influence. Listen, it's not the character. It's your influence and your effect on others if you work and you continue. I remember in the drug culture, and when I first started the drug culture, I didn't know how to roll a joint. I didn't know how to do the things I was doing. And people would laugh at you. But pretty soon, as a disciple of somebody else, you learn how to do it, and then you're making fun of other people. And, and, and your deeds are evil, but you think you're okay. You think you're good at it. You think you're doing great, and you're really in death culture. And you affect and influence people no matter what. Because we love darkness. 
but God can change that. It doesn't have to be the seal of your character. In fact, he says, men love darkness. And that's that Isaiah 9, I told you to hold your finger there. If you go back and look, he gave us a son. That's how he saved this. But 9.1 says, nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed. As when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan in Galilee of the Gentiles. Oh, now we're going to start learning something. The people who walked in darkness, walk is always how you lived, that's your occupation, have seen a great light. There's Jesus born, raised, walking around. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, Upon them a light has shined. You know, if there's a shadow, there has to be a light greater. So there's death. Everybody's born in death, but there's a light that casts a shadow. Doesn't mean you're dead yet because you ain't dead physically. It means that shadow, that light is there always with you, present, reminding you that you have a shadow. That means that you can still turn to the light. Listen, you know, it's, it's the valley of the shadow of death. It's not the valley of death. If you believe in Jesus, you actually, according to Matthew 5, become the light. No more shadow, but you begin to speak of things that you should know. Sorry. Verse 20. For everyone practicing. Now, I know that the King James says, and the King James missed it on this one. The new King James is better. The King James says, for everyone doeth, everyone who doeth evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed or again king james should be reproved listen but the new king james gets this because the word means practicing if this is your practices if this is what you're doing now listen this is what i want you to understand this is what practicing means now some people will say well i'm practicing because i'm doing it repetitively i don't think that's what it means if you're practicing sports, you might do it repetitively. But really, you have to first have the context that the Bible says, the fool has said in his heart, no God. So you have to have the context first that the person has said no to God. I don't want to hear your ways. And now I'm practicing this. I don't care what you say about it. That's what this is referring to. If you're saying yes to God and help me, God, and I can't seem to stop this, God, I need help. I need to understand my identity. And you have a heart toward going to home like the prodigal who come to his senses. Then it's not really practicing. It can be called stumbling. And it's something that you have a habitual act in. That's why I don't like the word addiction because the word doesn't mean that. The Bible never speaks of addictions. The Bible speaks of habitually doing something, which is what this word practice means, uh, to perform repeatedly or habitually in the Greek. But you have to first say no to God. Listen, if you're saying yes to God and you still fall short in areas, keep coming and confessing it. Keep letting him wash and cleanse you. But that's not, we shouldn't practice it. We shouldn't go back to it. We shouldn't do it and say, I'm just proving that God forgives me. Paul says, God forbid that we would live that way. In fact, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who mourn, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Is that right? Why? I cried over my mom dying. 
I get to be, no, no, blessed are those who mourn over their sin. Blessed are those who mourn over their sin and they humble themselves and they want it to be cleansed and they want to be like Christ and they want their desires changed. Then theirs is the kingdom of God. Because really, you have no desire to be like God unless it comes from the Spirit of God. It has to be the Spirit of God waking you up and coming and living in your heart and desiring to change you. He says that in Hebrews 6, and this we will do, we'll go on if God so wills. Very hard to understand sometimes. So what are you practicing? If you're practicing evil and you don't care that God cares and you think, because I said a prayer, it's okay. I said a prayer once, so it's okay if I practice evil. That is a heart that is not living according to God. It's not okay if you practice evil. It's never okay if you practice evil. God hates evil, pride, arrogance, and the evil way. Don't practice evil. Notice the word hates again. Christ calls that murder. Hates the light. Isn't that what they did to Christ? They murdered him. They killed him on a cross because they hated his light. They hated what he said. They hated the authority he spoke with. Remember they sent him? We're going to see it in John. It's so funny. They sent these guards. They said, go get him. We know he's here. for Go get him. And the guards come back going, like when I eat my wife's dessert, make you give back stuff you never stole. They're stumbling in. They go, where is he? He goes, nobody ever spoke like that before. That's all they said. They go, nobody ever spoke like that before. They couldn't arrest him. They heard his words and they couldn't do nothing. But see, if you hate God and you're saying no to God, then you don't care about killing God. Look at our culture right now today. The fourth government coming in, one world government, uh, going to be under the Antichrist eventually. This is death culture. It hates God. So it's killing marriage. It's killing family. It's killing everything that God ever said was true in life. And it's making you and forcing you to believe it. Don't be deceived. Those 87,000 armed with Glocks IRS agents are not there to audit you. They are there to take you out of your house. Nobody needs Glocks to audit somebody, to work at a desk. Those 87,000 people are going to be police officers of a new world order. They don't even have 87,000 current IRS agents. Why would they need all these other ones when we're not going to have any money and we're going to own nothing and we're going to like it anyway? It's going to be to take people out of their house that will not cooperate with their new world order and their new definition of everything. Follow death culture or breathe after God. What are you breathing after today? What are you panting for? As the deer pants for the water, so my soul pants after you. What are you panting for? What are you pursuing in life? Verse 20, well, so that he don't come to the light so that his deeds would not be reproved. That's what it says in the King James, not exposed, but it means to render apparent, um, to make manifest, to rebuke, to tell a fault, a fault, to tell a fault, 21. But he who does or practices the truth comes to the light 
that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done where? In Christ, in God. That's the Greek preposition, E-N. It's where the Holy Spirit comes in. You cannot do anything in Christ unless you're baptized into the body of Christ. But look at this. But he who does truth. See that? Do truth. Truth is a person. It's Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life. The way is a person. The life is a person. Are you breathing after him? Or are you still breathing the smoke of death culture down here that's on fire, that's polluting your lungs, that's going to kill you? Jesus is our oxygen line from heaven. He's truth. He's light. And listen again, I told you 21 is the evidence. You can tell when a person is lurking in the darkness or shady and obscure, which is what loving darkness is. You can tell when they're creeping around. They don't have the evidence of a life that's come to the light. They don't have the evidence of the Spirit of God manifested in them, changing them. You can see that clearly. I when I was, and I keep telling you this, when I was at Trinity Mission years ago, I'd ask my guys, you reading the Bible? They go, yeah. I go, no, you're not. Yes, I am. I go, no, you're not. I am. I go, you're not reading the Bible. And they get mad at me. I go, listen, when you're reading the Bible and you're in the light, your life will change. So you're either going to stay in the light and walk in the light as he is in the light and have fellowship in the light, or you're going to walk away. You're not going to do both. You're going to do one or the other. Oh, you might pretend for a couple minutes, but eventually you're going, to do, you're going to do one or the other. What are you breathing after? And I would always find out later that they were not reading the Bible. They, they, all of them told me, oh, you're right, I wasn't reading it. Now we're here with this, and you got this and found that, and I'm doing this. And So don't feel bad when you tell somebody to get in the Word, Prayer, and Fellowship, to read their Bible, to learn the truth. It's the only way they're going to get light. And you can clearly see when somebody's not walking in the light. They don't want to be around you. They don't want to talk to you. They won't look you in the face. God so loved the world. Listen, don't leave out for God so loved the world. One of the most misquoted scriptures ever. For God so loved the world. That he gave us this great gift that if we believe in Jesus Christ by faith, we can be saved. But if we're saved, we'll walk in the light. Because when the Spirit of God comes in, He wants to take the things that are Christ and begin to wash and cleanse you and make them yours. In fact, when we get to John 17, 17, He says, sanctify them with truth. Your word is truth. The only way to be washed and cleansed and have your desires changed so that you're not led away and tempted because once you've been approved, you receive the crown of life. James says, O camel knees, 
Father, thank you for the witness of Nicodemus, the witness of those who are victorious among their people, the witness of those who are overwhelmingly more than conquerors. Thank you for those who will investigate and tell others. Pour out your spirit, Lord. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you would say to your church and help us to go and do likewise. We give you praise in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. The Lord bless you. And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? Because I am.